much to be really thankful for and hopeful about, and um, just a lot of good work to, to be done, too. So we're uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we have been away from it for a little bit. We had a great membership gathering last Sunday, and then the week before that, we had a great resurrection play from our kids, and then the week... Yeah, that was awesome. And then uh, the week before that was Easter Sunday, and we were in Matthew, but just in a different spot. So today, we're, um, we're getting back into the Sermon on the Mount and starting with chapter 7. Um, I almost was going to like ask for highlights from like the, the Sermon on the Mount from a ch- long time ago. But as I say all, how long it's been, maybe I won't put you all on the spot that way um, in terms of what highlights have been. But the Matthew chapter 5... Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that Matthew chapter 5 really kind of describes the character of being someone who follows Jesus um, with their life. That, that the bulk of chapter 5 is about this, the character of someone who, who is a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. And we spent a good chunk of time in Matthew chapter 5. Um, Matthew chapter 6, he says, describes... The life. So five is about the character. Matthew chapter six describes the life of or the ethic of following Jesus as a disciple of Jesus into God's kingdom. And he says that um, both chapters help us see that to be a disciple of Jesus requires that we're called to be something different than the world. We're called to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. And so he identifies that there's a boundary, a difference. But he also says that it's a permeable boundary. That it's a, a boundary with inroads. Um, and he says that Matthew chapter 7, which we're going to start today, is about living, negotiating that permeable boundary. That difference between being a person who follows Jesus um, or a person um, who follows the world, the ways of the world. So it's so interesting to me. Let's say that's true. Let's say Bonhoeffer knows something um, as to where Matthew 7 starts. Um, This is how it begins. How to negotiate a permeable boundary. The gospel reading, Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge. Amen. Let's celebrate Eucharist. Um, (laughs) Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you'll be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye? But do not notice the log in your own eye. Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye? While the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. 
And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who if your child asks for bread... We'll give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, we'll give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. What is judging? What is wrong with judging? Why would Jesus say not to do it? What is judging? Um, I don't think we're talking about courtroom stuff, like don't become a judge. Um, I think we're talking about stuff that occurs within ordinary, daily life, normal relationships. And I think what it most simply has to do with is setting up ourselves as moral guardians or moral critics um, of one another. And... Obviously, in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, Jesus is talking a lot about scribes and Pharisees, right? Good thing that's none of us. Scholars, serious people. Um, Jay, I like that laugh. That's good. Um, The serious Aaron invited us to consider, right? Teachers, people trying to navigate a permeable boundary, Um, Well-meaning at times. I think oftentimes judgment, we think judgment might come from a well-meaning place. Like, well, God says this. I want to be about it. Um, So it's kind of like a keeping up with the Joneses in a behavioral sense, right? It's like a, well, so-and-so's got a new, uh, what are those? I even have one. Or a Fitbit, right? I want to get a Fitbit. Or so-and-so's got a, you know, this or that. Or so-and-so's behaving like this. Maybe I should or maybe I shouldn't or maybe they shouldn't. Um, You know, questions maybe you're familiar with, but like, is someone holy enough, righteous enough, moral enough? Um, Do they worship sincerely enough? I don't think those are the trouble. I think it's more questions like, are they progressive enough? Are they prophetic enough? Do they use use resources enough? 
We judge when we're afraid that our cherished moral climates are going to be permeated or going to be adjusted because we find identity in those. But we're talking about how do you navigate a permeable boundary, a boundary that's open. Um, And Jesus warns against all this. I've told this story before, but it's just so perfect. Zach was young, four. Um, I, I told him to go clean his room or something. And he must have been tired or hungry or something because this just doesn't what Zach does. But he looks right at me and goes, Dad, you're not the boss. God's the boss. And you're not God. Just like that. And he was young. And I was like, wow, that is awesome. Like... <laughs> Jesus doesn't mean that we shouldn't have high standards of behavior for ourselves. I think quite the contrary. Five and six is evidence of that. But it's, he's warning against this temptation to look down on each other for moral failures. And I think what it is, is it's a temptation to play God. To act as if we are God. And we're not God. Zach is right. Um, And then the word hypocrite is used, and the word hypocrite is, it means, to put on a mask or a disguise and to act like something that you're not. And so Jesus is warning, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to have the character of the kingdom, you can't judge. You can't play God because we are creatures of God. We're not God. What will happen to those who judge? (laughs) It's going to come right back at you, Jesus warns. Um, The measuring stick we use will be used against us. And people, while they kind of patronizingly patronizingly, um, offer advice or or guidance, again, sometimes from a perceived well-meaning place, um, their own... Challenge is going to loom so large, like a log in an eye, that that we can't even see straight. And the warning is not to find those people who are doing this. The warning is to take a look at ourselves and make sure we're not the ones. I was in Irvine all week, being a scribe, being a Pharisee, teaching a class. Um, And I went into it just a touch nervous because of some of the stories that have been told about some of the students I was working with and knowing that a lot of what, the fruit of a lot of what I talk about in our church is the work that Scott just shared, which is the Immigration Resource Center. So I didn't quite know what to expect. And there was a student who came who, she's a pastor on a staff at a church in Washington, D.C. area, and her husband is in uh, the military, and he oversees troops who guard the, un, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, who worked the inauguration. And I was just kind of curious about how this was all going to go. And what I found out is that she's a pastor of outreach at her church, and one of the primary initiatives that she oversees is a ministry to refugees. Um, and so at a break, I was talking with her, and 
It's like, how does this work? Like, that's an amazing scenario, if I'm hearing you right, that you're describing. And she said, oh, Josh, I, it all started when I met this Syrian refugee boy um, in our neighborhood. And all this stuff came up in me because my husband had been to Iraq. We had had friends who had died in Iraq. And I just was caught by surprise with all the anger that came up in me as I met this boy. And I told my husband about it. And my husband looked right at me and said, well, we probably need to take care of him. And one thing led to another, and this church is now helping to house and work with over 40 refugee families in, um, in the Washington, D.C. area. And I was so humbled by this, this just beautiful picture of the gospel. Um, and I was also very like, like, I guess I just, I felt like, what's the word I'm looking for? I needed to confess to God. Like, I didn't expect that and I, I shouldn't be so surprised that, as I was. Um, Judgment is such a real deal um, that we all can slip into. There's a book, um, if you want to go to the next slide, there's a book um, out a couple years ago. Oh, the clicker's right here. Thanks. It's called The Vanishing Neighbor by Mark Dunkelman. And he, he writes about like the shift, this shift in like the structure of American life, and I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but basically it's, um, it's based on um, kind of how we organize ourselves, you know, internet age, you know, normal stuff that you're all aware of. But what he lays out is that in life there's like this inner ring for many people, an inner ring of relationships, and it's like your most close, intimate friends, maybe family, People who are, you are just super, super close to. I, I think of like the TV show Friends as kind of like the example of this like inner ring of, um, of relationships. And then he talks about this increasingly expanding outer ring, um, this increasingly expanding social landscape that made possible by travel and then, of course, by social media, Facebook, that kind of thing. And then he talks about this, what he calls this vanishing middle ring. Um, these are, you know, the barber down the street for some of you. Um, the, the family, maybe a block over, who you run into and connect with. Um, these are... Um, they're, they're familiar people, but maybe not intimately close, certainly not as intimately close as the inner ring. Um, they're friendly, but maybe not like people you share your, your biggest secrets with. And his suggestion is that these have been the mo- some of the most vital relationships for people historically. It's where you meet your friends. It's where you meet your spouse, potentially. It's where you learn how to debate and dialogue with people who are different than you, where you cultivate the ability to compromise, um, where you find support, where you need a, a breadth of support in a time of crisis, uh, 
that your intimate ring can't provide enough. Um, this middle ring is, has been historically so important and that it's vanishing um, in our time. What he also points out is that largely your inner ring and your outer ring you choose. You choose who your closest friends are. You choose who you engage with in social media or travel to see. And if you're like me, you choose who you hide and who you don't listen to anymore um, in your outer ring. I've noticed that some of you have hidden... No, I'm kidding. Um, but that this middle ring are largely people that you didn't choose. This is the love your neighbor ring I, I, I thought of. Um, I think about church. And like, where does church fall in that, you know? I, I think somewhere in here. Maybe if this was permeable. Um, there's certainly inner ring type relationships in this room. Um, and even Mountainside, though we're not a large church, is too large for everyone to feel that way. Um, and we live in a society where this middle ring is shrinking or the relationships are thinning. And I think how this connects is that when that happens, we're tempted to judge. When we're, when we're not as connected to people, when we don't know their stories, when we, don't, when we aren't able to engage in a way where empathy um, is real, um, history is known, um, difference is understood and, and appreciated and acknowledged and not changed or fixed, um, it's easy to judge. As if we know. As if we understand. Um, we play God from a place of no familiarity or relationship. Um, we, we, we protect our, our climates. Um, right? I don't want to hear that voice anymore. Hide. Right? I don't want to hear that perspective anymore. I'll just hang out with these people who, who, who don't have that. Um, and Jesus says, don't. Jesus says, look at the, at the log in your own eye. Um, I, think, I think I had to do that this week a little bit um, with my student. Um, good thing, though, Matthew 7 doesn't leave us there. Um, the passage goes on and there's an invitation. Don't judge. Uh, these are great too. My friend Kevin Doy was talking about this, but we're going we're gonna to move on. Don't judge, but pray. Jesus says, right after all this, um, this challenge of not judging, Jesus says, Pray. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks searches finds and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. And there's these amazing descriptions of God. And I just want us to, what kind of God is this? Encouraging us not to judge. Encouraging us to come and pray. Um, It's a God who gives good gifts. If you then know how to, who are evil, tough one, strong language by Jesus... Know how to give good gifts to your children. And we do. You do. Um, To children in general, this group knows how to give good gifts. How much more will your Father in Heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Jesus is... is, um, is inviting us to, to remember that our Father in Heaven... Our Father who who is ushering in God's reign knows how to give good gifts. Um, And I think sometimes we have this aversion maybe to asking God for that. Um, Because we have an aversion for asking for anything in our culture. Because we're a culture that that really promotes... um, you can do this on your own. Like, you can make this happen. And, and we talk about this a lot, and I don't want to like, belabor the point, but even though we talk about it a lot, it doesn't mean it's not like, in us and like we think about it, you know? And, and Jesus seems to be saying, I, I, ask for what you need. Um, if my kids, like, stopped coming to me with requests and asks for a short time it'd be peaceful you know um for a short time it might be kind of nice you know but a very short time because quickly I would be like oh something's off here this is not how children and parents interact dependence ask because they know their dependence it's it's in them And I think the good word today is that God wants us to come and to ask for good gifts. Um, That the kingdom of God is breaking in and it's it's not coming all at once. I don't know that we could handle that. Um, But it's coming and prayer is the stuff that opens us up to the good things of God that are coming. Jesus tells us to ask for our daily bread, right? To pray that God's will would be done. Um, That God is a loving Father. Uh, Archbishop William Temple writes, When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. I like that. Um, And if we read this in step with Jesus' promptings not to judge. Um, I think we're being invited away from judgment of one another, of others, of people who aren't in our inner circle or our outer circle, 
um, to prayer for one another. Because it's really hard to judge someone who you're at the same time praying for. And not praying that God would give them what they need or what you think they need, right? Um, but praying, you know, your will be done, God. Give them their daily bread. Um, and if you pray for someone, if I pray for someone rather than judging someone, um, we may just end up doing to them as we would want them to do to us. And we may, by God's grace, be living out the law and the prophets um, together. In a minute, we're going to come to the table. Um, at Mount Sinai, we practice uh, an, an open table, a permeable boundary, um, where um, anyone who wants to trust Christ, even for a moment, and partake in a meal of God, um, is welcome to do that. Um, we, we're explicit, that is what this meal is about. It's about coming to the table of God through Jesus, um, becoming nourished by God's broken body and shed blood, so that we might go out and pray, live the hard life of a permeable boundary, um, Pray for people, not judge people. Be the body of Christ as we leave, um, starting with one another. Um, so all are welcome to this table uh, when, we, when we partake. And all are welcome, obviously, to pass. What I'd like to do is I'd like to have the musicians come up, and we're going to just sing for a little while. And I want you to, I want until the kids come in. Um, and what I want to invite us to is to sing, if you'd like, or to pray. Who are those people that you need to pray for? Um, maybe they're here in the room. Maybe they're, um, I, I don't even want to keep going. You know who they are. Um, but let's just enter into a time of worship together and come to God. Maybe, maybe today it was more the, yeah, I got to remember that God wants me to come and ask. I haven't done that in a long time. I'm pretty sure there's a Vesper service tonight, right? If you'd like to pray, there's an opportunity to do that tonight. But let's just enter into a time of worship. Um, thank you, God, for the, good, the God that, that he is, one who gives good gifts. Um, and let's pray for ourselves, for one another, as we wait for the kids. <clears throat>